Hello and welcome to the Teeing Off podcast on Wednesday, May 24th. I'm RJ McCullough. For the second week in a row, who picked that winner? Equally surprising was how it ended. Billy Horschel's four straight missed cuts and no top 10 since February meant he was coming off the worst stretch of golf since his rookie year in 2011 when he missed five straight. By his own admission, he landed in Dallas with nothing in terms of momentum. What's more, he admittedly didn't like TPC Four Seasons, missing the cut there in his only two Byron Nelson starts in 2011 and 2012. Yet, Horschel and a resurgent Jason Day appeared to be headed to a second playoff hole on Sunday before Day uncharacteristically blew a four-footer to hand Horschel the win. Day's playoff loss, while disappointing, reclaimed his number three spot in the official World Golf Ranking ahead of Hideki Matsuyama. It has, however, been over a year since Jason last tasted victory at the 2016 Players' Championship. The runner-up finish was his best result since a solo second last year at the PGA Championship. James Hahn came to 18 on Sunday, needing an eagle to force his way into the playoff as well. So from 121 yards, Hahn hit a wedge and watched heart in his throat as the ball hit by the flagstick, spun back and caught part of the hole, but spun out to four feet away. He would make the birdie to shoot 71 and finish alone in third place, a shot out of the playoff. Jordan Spieth was nothing but an afterthought in the event, shooting an out-of-character 75, including a quadruple bogey 9 on the 16th hole on Friday to miss the cut at the Byron Nelson for the first time. It was a particularly painful result, considering this is the final time the event was played at the TPC Four Seasons. Spieth watched the Tour Pros there as a boy, and finished 16th as a 16-year-old there in 2010. Dustin Johnson, the current FedEx Cup leader and world number one, had a largely forgettable weekend. He shot 71-69 with nine bogeys and finished tied for 13th. Defending champion Sergio Garcia also had a forgettable Sunday, shooting a four over 74 after posting rounds of 65-64 the previous two days. Billy Horschel's emotions from winning the AT&T Byron Nelson went far beyond ending more than two years without a victory. One day after Horschel was vague about issues off the course, his wife took to Twitter to reveal she is battling alcoholism. Brittany Horschel said last weekend marked the one-year anniversary of her sobriety. I write this nervously, skeptically, but also proudly because I have embraced the woman I have become over the past year, she wrote. One year ago, I began a journey to a healthy me mentally and physically. I'll keep this simple. I'm an alcoholic. I say that now without shame. Bernie Horschel said in her post that her husband respectfully left her to answer it however she wanted, if at all. However, to not answer would not only be unfair to him, but to my own integrity, she said. She added that she spent the end of last May through July in a treatment center in South Florida. She said her husband, Billy Horschel, took full responsibility taking care of their first child, moving into a new home, competing on the PJ Tour, and, quote, God only knows what else and what all went through that man's head during that time. He silently battled through with support from family and close friends, a very sad, scary, and trying time. This is two weeks in a row I've praised Billy Horschel, the person. He has taken some flack in his career for who he is, but I hope all of that is behind him because this is a great story, and I wish Brittany and the entire Horschel family the best of luck going forward. It's nice to hear about guys that are good guys off the course, and it makes it real when 
these guys go through stuff. I never wish bad things on anyone, but kind of makes it real and good for Billy for handling this the way he has. On a much less serious note, golfers under 30 got off to a hot start this season. The youngsters account for 16 tournament victories in total thus far. That said, the 30-somethings are staging a modest rally, having won or jointly won in the case of the Zurich Classic four times in the last five weeks. Thanks to Horschel, who's 30 years old, they account for 10 victories now and seem to be catching up. The 40-somethings, by the way, account for three Ws so far this season. So good for the old guys. Okay, I'm Canadian, so I'll take any chance I can to sneak some hockey talk in here. Brent Snedeker, who lives in Nashville, is all in on the Nashville Predators, who advanced to the Stanley Cup Final for the first time in franchise history with a win over the Anaheim Ducks the other night. And he called out noted Boston Bruins fan Keegan Bradley after the Preds clinched their spot, tweeting, in honor of at Keegan Bradley, go Hashtag Smashville. Bradley replied by playing the pretentious Boston fan card, something admittedly easy to do at the moment, but still annoying. Bradley tweeting, Boston fans don't celebrate conference championships. We're a title town. You should enjoy this, though. Snedeker clapped back with, just trying to get you back into hockey. Haven't seen you tweet any goals in a while. And then added, you will be there for the finals. Pretty good back and forth for two golf guys. Gotta give it to Keegan Bradley, though. As much as I hate Boston sports teams. Sticking with the theme of other sports relating to golf, former Dallas Cowboys quarterback and former boyfriend of Jessica Simpson, Tony Romo famously hung up the cleats for a spot in the broadcast booth a couple months ago after sitting out most of last season and, well, his career with injuries. But before he makes his NFL debut for CBS, Romo will get some time in the booth this weekend at the Dean and DeLuca Invitational. Romo does know golf pretty well as he has tried and failed to qualify for the U.S. Open on multiple occasions, including earlier this month when he came up six strokes short at his particular qualifier, shooting a three over 75. Speaking of the Dean and DeLuca Invitational, PGA Tour heads just down the road, staying in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for the final leg of the Texas Swing at the Dean and DeLuca Invitational. This week, I themed Colonial Country Club, one of the most iconic courses on the PGA Tour. Colonial is a 7,209-yard par 70 that one can safely categorize as a less-than-driver course. Colonial is set to host its 72nd playing of the tournament here, only Augusta National has a longer, unbroken tenure on the PGA Tour schedule. Due to its historic nature, and Dean and DeLuca being, quite frankly, a crappy name for an event, I'm hereby going to refer to the event in the rest of this podcast as the Colonial. Known as a classic shot maker's layout with its tight fairways and many dog legs, Colonial Country Club even hosted the US Open in 1941. Colonial also hosted the second edition of the Players' Championship in 1975, the 1991 US Women's Open, and Annika Sorenstam's historic 2003 venture as the first woman to tee it up at a PGA Tour event since World War II. Jordan Spieth ended his Texas drought here last year by hoisting the crown. He has also finished tied 2nd, tied 14th, and tied 7th here. While the former world number 1, Spieth, now 7th in the world rankings, enters the week in rare poor form, missing 3 out of his last 4 cuts, Colonial could be just the course he needs in order to break out of the slump, much like Jason Day did last week. Formerly the Crown Plaza Invitational, 
Colonial suffers in quality with a scheduled date opposite the European Tour's flagship tournament, the BMW Championship. The field, however, does have some intriguing names this week, including seven of the top 30 players in the world. John Rahm, ranked 12th in the world, played terribly over the weekend at the players, but he has otherwise been one of the best players on tour this season, with a win and four other top five finishes already this season. Sergio Garcia has a tied 30th and a tied 20th in his two starts since winning the Masters. Still hitting the ball great, Garcia will just have to remain focused around these tough greens. Matt Kuchar has a tied 6th last year and a runner-up in 2013 here, and, a finish, and he finished tied 9th last week. Though he rarely wins on tour, Kuchar has been a model of consistency over the past few seasons and is a top 10 machine. Jason Duffner, despite quietly enjoying a very solid season, 8 top 25 finishes already in 2017, Duffner is rarely talked about on a week-to-week basis. The former PGA Championship winner finished tied 6th year last year and has a pair of runner-up showings in 2014 and 2012 as well. Brant Snedeker, Harris English, and Kevin Kisner could be sleepers considering their strong recent track records at Colonial. The king of that, however, at Colonial is Zach Johnson. He seems to always bring his A-game to Colonial. Johnson is a two-time winner in 2010 and 2012. He has also finished 3rd, 4th, 17th, and 19th. This course rewards accurate tee shots, fine iron play, and a solid putting stroke. Johnson, of course, checks all of those boxes. One more name to look out for, Jamie Sadlowski. For more than a decade, the 5'11-inch, 170-pound Canadian was the face of the World Long Drive Championship, making the final eight in 10 straight years. Sadlowski retired from the long drive game last year to pursue his PGA Tour dreams and was granted a sponsor exemption into this week's event. That will be a fun one to follow on Shot Tracker, and hopefully he will get some TV time. Not expecting great play from him, because when we look through the tournament's history, we can see that the guys in the field who do well here tend to be the shorter hitters who keep it in play and hit a ton of greens. The greens at Colonial are some of the smallest on tour, so good scramblers also have an advantage this week. Of note, there are only 128 players in the field, meaning a higher percentage of the field will make it through the cut line. However, there is a significant speed bump to watch out for. Dubbed the horrible horseshoe, holes 3-5 to five can cripple any player. Since 1983, the horrible horseshoe has played to a combined score to par total of over plus 6,600. Last year, hole number 3 was the fourth most difficult on the course, number 4 was second, and number 5, as it historically is, was the toughest. For some context, 106 bogeys, 13 double bogeys, and 3 others were made at number 5 against just 40 birdies last year. And of 12,000 plus rounds played at Colonial, there are only 21 players to have a career relative to par score under par on the Horrible Horseshoe. For my actual picks, done with more of a statistical analysis, check out my blog posting on it. I will provide the numbers and spreadsheet I use to determine my picks. So anyone interested in betting this week, whether it's daily fantasy sports or just good old betting, be sure to check that out. Just Google teeing off blog RJ McCullough or follow me on Twitter to find it. My handle is at RJMCCULLOUGH. This week I am teeing off on Colonial and the BMW Championship being on the same week. Sergio Garcia and John Robb's absence from this week's $7 million BMW PGA Championship put European Tour Chief Executive Keith Pelly on the back foot in a week when he should be celebrating. 
Capelli is presiding over the first event of the lucrative Rolex series, eight events this season with a minimum prize fund of $7 million. Something to be proud of for any CEO, but Pelly spent most of his pre-tournament press conference trying to justify Garcia and Rahm's absence, saying, I don't think Sergio gave a specific reason. I guess he did his schedule at the beginning of the year, and we always knew that this wasn't part of his schedule. We know where he's going to be playing and what Rolex series events he's going to be playing in, and we'll announce those in due course. End quote. However, as reigning Masters champion, Pelly would have wanted him here this year to help kick off the first Rolex Series event. Same for John Rahm. The young Spaniard has scheduled European Tour events later this summer, but his absence this week is a huge blow. Pelly would not be drawn on what reasons both players gave for not entering an event in the European Tour's backyard, saying, We like to focus on who is here, and when you look at who is here, the field, we have the Open champion, Henrik Stenson, we have the Olympic champion, Justin Rose, we have four former world number ones. We have nine major champions. We have nine of the Ryder Cup members. Now, on the other hand, back in the States, there was a time when the Colonial really mattered. The Dean and DeLuca Invitational, beginning Thursday in Fort Worth, Texas, was once one of the premier events on the PGA Tour. It is among a handful of Invitational tournaments with smaller fields and their own eligibility requirements. It used to be that the Texas Swing, the AT&T, Byron Nelson, and the Colonial, which are played in consecutive weeks in suburban Dallas, was a must-play, especially when the late Byron Nelson would go to the Masters to ask players to commit to his event. The quality of the field has dwindled in recent years at Colonial, and it now looks more low to mid-tier event than an elite one. Some of the game stars, particularly the big-hitting players, tend to stay away from Colonial. It's tight and doesn't reward bombing or inaccurate play. Tiger Woods didn't play the Colonial for exactly that reason. Ditto world number one Dustin Johnson, who won't tee it up this week either. Colonial is a relatively short course, about 7,200 yards, a par 70 old-style layout with tree-lined fairways. It rewards shot makers, not bombers. The past 10 winners include Zach Johnson, Steve Stricker, David Toms, Boo Weekly, and defending champion Jordan Spieth. Ben Hogan has won here five times when it was a Colonial National Invitational. The list of champions also includes Sam Snead, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, Lee Trevino, Lanny Watkins, Tom Weisskopf, Billy Casper, and Nick Price. More than any other sport, golf leans on its history as part of the attraction. Most of the previous generation of players believed that if it was good enough for Ben Hogan, that's all that needed to be said. The trend, however, is now going in the opposite direction. The Genesis Open at Riviera Country Club doesn't get the field that it deserves. The RBC Heritage used to be a must-play spot with Harbortown ranked consistently among the players' favorite courses, but the field there these days is far from star-studded. The Canadian Open, right here in my backyard, used to be considered the Tour's fifth major before the Players' Championship rolled around. It is a national open, and now it holds arguably the worst spot on the schedule, right after the British Open, a continent away and right before the World Golf Championships at Bridgestone and the PJ Championship the week after that. So, hmm, I wonder which week players are going to take off that month. I get it, there's so much money to be made on the PJ Tour that players can afford to pick and choose where they want to play. It makes sense to play in places where they're the most successful. Tiger, of course, made a career of such scheduling. But golf is a different sport, mainly because of the venues on which the championships are held and the history intertwined with those venues. And I personally love when the young players, any of the players, and the tour itself makes a point to recognize and uphold those that made the game what it is today. They've now put the players in a very tough spot between choosing a flagship event on the European tour 
an event with a lot of history on the PGA Tour, and to me it's a mistake to have them on the same week. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the Colonial, and if you're watching it, the BMW PGA. Remember to check out my picks preview and other postings on my Teeing Off blog. I'm RJ McCullough. Feel free to let me know your thoughts and any comments. I'd love to hear from anyone listening. Take care. I'll talk to you next week.